I did like the Batman cave evil villain cave angle. You had your camera before the show started on. Though. I kind of like that. So. Well, also, I'd like to note that um, thanks to a suggestion that you made a few weeks ago, and I was having all the technical difficulties, uh, my wife and I did a project last weekend mm. where we actually ran Ethernet cable down to the studio. So I am wow. Well, I'm going through a portal like a, a sure, hub, yeah, mm -hmm. because of the you know the new mm -hmm. computers just have USB C. But yeah, it's been uh, it's been pretty great. Um, so let's see. Oh, here we go. Here wired, comes Jeff. Wired, wired is the way to go. Yes, uh, I mean Wi-Fi is nice, but wired, especially when you're doing streaming and stuff, that's just that's what you should do, really. Yeah, I've noticed a, a big difference. Mm -hmm. um, and and speaking of different, wait, that was a terrible transition. <laughs> hey, Jeff, <laughs> it was hey, a segue. Uh, yeah. Google Chrome is always a little tricky. Sorry about that. Uh, my um, my apologies. No worries. Um, How are you guys? Good to Doing see great. you. We haven't, yeah, we haven't really started. We we're just kind of getting on. We we're a couple minutes late. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, so we are here to talk about a movie. I, I think I'm going to pronounce the name right. M3 Gen. <laughs> Is that right? Do I have uh, it right? <laughs> it's a little sticky, isn't it? Uh, but I think you can just say Megan. It's Megan. Oh, yeah. okay. You, yes. could, you could get away with saying <laughs> Megan. It's, you know? it's just spelt in leet. So there you go. <laughs> nice. That's some, I just don't you know some names are tricky but yeah. um yeah so this movie came out just about a week ago and uh so I've assembled a a, a some of Earth's mightiest critics to talk about it um I'm excited to talk about this movie because I was really jazzed and kind of hyped up on this thing but the further away I get as I still like it but it's a matter of liking over loving and I want to talk about the the movie itself, you know, it, it's pretty solid box office this weekend, mm -hmm. and what we might think of its kind of you know staying power, not just in terms of like, is it going to beat out Avatar two at some point, but just like, do we think this is a cult classic in the making, or is it just kind of like it was good, and then there'll be another Blumhouse movie next year that we'll talk about, or probably three this year because they're a factory now. But joining me, uh, I'm Ian Simmons of Kicking the Seat, of course. We have Mark the Movie Man Krawcheck of the Spoiler Room and Special Mark Productions, and we have Jeff York of the Establishing Shot. Um, thank, you, thank you all for joining me, gentlemen. How you doing? Very good. Thank you. Great to be here. All right. Mark, how yeah, are you doing? Yeah, you let anyone in this, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you be nice to Jeff. No, I'm kidding. I'm, <laughs> oh, I'm not talking about Jeff. I'm in, I'm in, excellent, I'm a, I'm in excellent company. So, oh, Everyone's taking a high. sip. I got to join in the club. Just, yeah, mm. yeah. Just uh, I'm more like ready, the gleek. I, I'm like the gleek of the, the Earth's Mightiest Critics. But. Oh, get out of here. It's <laughs> not true. It's not true. No, Besides, no DC talk on this channel. Oh, <laughs> oh it's one of those channels. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> um, all right. So, Jeff, let's start with you because uh, I, I don't know if you posted this on Facebook or, or somewhere, but um, you got pretty excited during the <laughs> the critic screening of this movie. I understand you were there was some laughter, which, like right off the bat, I wasn't expecting this to be a horror comedy kind of satirical. Uh, movie. I thought it was going to be a straight up horror film, but it's quite funny. So were you surprised by that too? I was in fact, um, you know, one of the problems that you always have when you go into a January movie, uh, the, in one that's earmarked for being released that year, not like a, an Oscar contender that gets rolled out uh, after the holidays in January or February, as is often the case. Um, it's ne it's never a good sign. Usually it's like it's mm -hmm. a dumping ground. And, and even like horror as a counter to the sugar and sugar and saccharin of, of the holiday season is is oftentimes less than stellar. So, uh, But this one had a screening. I thought, well, generally when we have screenings for them, they tend to be more of note, or at least the studio is high on them. So I went in this one a little bit apprehensive, but also a little bit encouraged the fact that they were even having a screening. And I have to tell you, maybe because I've seen so many horror movies where I'm disappointed right away, and then it just kind of continues to go down and down and down. This one started off with a very funny satire of toy commercials. And I used to be a creative director, and as we've talked about, and I worked on toy commercials. And 
they have it dead to nuts. It's right and it's funny and it's just the same tone and the camera angles. It's like, wow, these guys did their homework. They really studied toy commercials to understand how they're acted, how they're edited together. And, you know, it's such a weird premise like pets are great, but pets die. That's why you need a fake pet. And I just thought, oh my God. And then, of course, you can see, you know, you get a little bit ahead of it that is going to set up her fake friend and all that kind of stuff. But I have to say the fact that this was not me laughing at it because it was cheesy, but laughing at it because I think they went out of their way to make it witty, to have this protagonist uh, doll or antagonist doll, I guess, as it were, be very smart um, and very sly. Um, it, it reminded me of a lot of other movies like Terminator and Westworld. Uh, and there was, you know, clearly homages to that. And I just was sort of tickled by the fact that I was waiting for this to kind of fall apart and fall apart and fall apart. And it never did. Now, to your earlier question, Ian, I don't know if it's going to be one of those that, you know, come year end next year, I'll put on my top 10 list or not. And, and who knows, you know, I think time makes movies either less great or suddenly called classics or better than we thought they were. But for a January movie, I mean, this one I thought was really good and really kind of had me laughing from beginning to end. And I'm just going to say one quick thing too, but, but maybe it's more for later. I can't remember the last time there was a villain, if you will, in a movie where I kind of agreed with the villain most of the mm -hmm. time. And I say that here because it's like, you know, the character that, uh, uh, that uh, Allison Williams plays Gemma, the scientist. She's very selfish. She makes a lot of dumb, bad choices throughout. And I kept thinking, you know, this little doll really is doing what she's been asked to do, and she's very thorough in it. And you know, she's kind of not uh, taking any crap and and kind of eye on the prize stuff. So I I was finding her kind of admirable, even you know, because she's not like a savage, crazy loon. No, right. this is her program, and you know. That little boy at the fairground, at the uh, campgrounds, is a badass. Let's let's take care of him. <laughs> Get him out of the way. Uh, you know, so I I found that kind of refreshing too because you know you you said you kind of start almost I don't want to say cheering for uh, the villain, but there's worse villains on display, and in many respects, uh, Megan's purity I think makes her a little bit uh, noble. Yeah, and I do want to come back to that what you mentioned with the sure. Allison Williams character later because i think that is something that i picked up on in terms yeah. of the kind of messaging that we don't really see a lot in in mainstream entertainment right. or, right. or pop culture but uh before you get to that mark what do, you you teased this out on your live stream the other night that you might have <laughs> sort of a, a differing opinion um, on megan uh -oh. so let's hear it <laughs> now in my review i still gave it a a, a fairly glowing positive review uh, on the whole i was surprised i mean i'm a horror fan and sure. In the last five years, it's been it's it's been wonderful to see how the mainstream movie audience has embraced horror because mm -hmm. horror after the golden age of the 80s, even mm -hmm. into the 90s when Scream came around, it kind of tapered off, especially when you got mm -hmm. into the 2000s. And sure, you mm -hmm. could relate some real world stuff to that. To right, right. So much horror, it turned people off. Now it's weird since the pandemic <laughs> horror has exploded for a number of reasons. I think um, I've seen this film before with Megan. That's not a, not a criticism. It's just a simple fact. If you watch enough horror, especially sure. we've mentioned it before AI gone rogue hmm. is territory we've ventured in before. Right. I will agree with Jeff in that they did homework. And they did it with care to where, yeah, it starts off a little satirical, but there's some meat and some things that they do a bit differently with it, that it starts out really strong mm -hmm. in the middle. It sort of teeters for me. And at the end, I was a bit disappointed because it fell back on very, we've seen this many times before tropes, yes. right? So to start out so strong and interesting, like you said, the Gemma character, we don't just have uh, the kid warming up to her. They explore grief with kids. They bring up this idea of imprinting. So they explain it in such a mm -hmm. way to it explains why this young w girl is attached to the robot. I mean, they have set all these things right, up so right. much. Um, and then... Like I said, they start to get a little bit in the weeds, but by the end of it, I was like, oh, now you ended it exactly like every, you know, every other mm -hmm. horror film. And again, not saying that's necessarily bad because I like those type of endings, but at the same time, where you start out and where it ended was 
was a little bit uh, uh, anticlimactic for me in a way. Um, mm-hmm. But overall, I liked the character setup. I wish I hadn't watched the trailers because mm. if you're talking action sequences, they literally put every main action piece, some scene mm-hmm. or the main creepy mm-hmm. part yep. in the trailer, unfortunately. So those weren't surprises at all. And right. it kind of lost tension. Where this film, I think, is far more ex- more effective are the quiet moments. And I mentioned this yes. too in my room. The parts that creep me out the most are where Megan is sitting with Gemma and uh, the young girl. I forgot her name. Uh, um, Katie. Katie. Yeah. Where they're just sitting at the other and they're conversing. And Megan is like, you know, she's already tuned into the Internet and she's throwing words back at Gemma. Or she's in a conversation or she's in the observation thing, you know, with with young Katie and she's putting on the show. Those are the moments that I think are most effective in this film. It's not so much the horror part, which, by the way, this thing really wanted to be R. It it really so much really kind of wanted to be R with what they were touching on. But for me. It was most effective when you just had those quiet moments because mm-hmm. that's just like the what are you doing, Dave, Hal moments. Mm-hmm. Very much so. In there, you know. Let's talk about that that rating because – and we're in spoiler territory because we're going to kind of jump around here because um, stream of consciousness and I'm very tired. Um, <laughs> there are two uh, – okay, so – Gemma works as um, she's like a robotics engineer at this toy company. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's kind of struggling because she's been tasked to work on the next gen version of this kind of Furby esque AI, you know, right. doll, which right. is great because it kind of looks like a Furby, but it has the teeth of, I should have pulled this up, but there's like a deep sea creature that looks like a starfish almost that mm-hmm. it looks like has human teeth. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen this, like with the gums and everything. That's what this. Furby thing look like it's totally creepy and weird, but it's apparently a, a hot seller. But she really wants to be working on this, uh, <laughs> this Megan, this kind of AI, right? You know, American mm-hmm. doll, uh, toy. And she gets her chance sort of by accident, um, and by tragedy, a corporate accident, and also by uh, the fact that her sister uh, and her husband, her sister's husband, die in a car accident, uh, leaving little Katie as an orphan which is the, the opening scene of the film, which also reminded me of, I think it was the opening of Shazam. Like, the, you could almost play these things together because uh, I think the, the main villain of that movie we see as a child who you know, gets roughed mm-hmm. up in a car accident. Mm-hmm. But uh, Gemma has two lab assistants that at the end, in the, you know, one of the climaxes of this movie, I guess the pre-climax, they're in the lab with Gemma and they're trying to shut her down. And this is sort of the suspenseful thing of like removing the cables and the one guy is like way too close. And, and of course, mm-hmm. um, Megan gets out and starts attacking them and she blows up the lab. And I was thinking back on it. The scene is shot just in such a way that when they pop up at the end, they're like, Oh, that's right. They were kind of weirdly underneath the fire special effects. So I guess maybe they survived. But I have a feeling if this was a bit of a like an R-rated, maybe a darker, edgier movie, they would have just gotten blown up. I did not, as much as I thought these characters were fun, I did not want to see them pop up at the end. It's like that thing where uh, I think... Austin Powers did this with Will Ferrell's henchman character. He falls <laughs> yeah, down the yeah. canyon. He's like, I'm, I'm okay. burned very, I'm burned very badly, <laughs> yeah. but I'm all it's, right. Yeah, right. Still it's alive. That, yeah. Ugh. And, and they've the, the trope has been repeated in pop culture for 25 years. It's just mm-hmm. so obnoxious. Right. So to see it again, like, yeah, you, you got to be better than that, Megan. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think and some of the like when. The boss guy, again, we're in spoiler territory, so if you haven't seen Megan, what are you doing here? Um, he gets he gets impaled <laughs> with had a, a sword. Right, right. You've had a week. But he gets impaled with a sword, like, coming through an elevator, and it's all, like, underneath his shirt. I mean, you can see right. the impact That's, of it, but I'm like, yeah. that, yeah, he should have, that should have been a chest-bursting scene. Well, you know, you wonder to that very question, Ian, if some of this was either... Um, adjusted or fixed in post, as mm-hmm. they say, because um, my guess is it probably could have been a lot more violent and maybe was. And, you know, maybe they had some of that carnage that horror audiences often want, the, the bloodletting that, you know, you kind mm-hmm. of have to do for for the bloodlust of, of various people who want to see that in these kind of movies, especially when, you know, a creature or a doll or whatever it is, the villain is going on a rampage. But 
I wonder if they look at it and somebody said, you know, this Megan doll is pretty cute and she's fun and she's likable. And God damn it, she's actually the most moral person on screen here. And she's <laughs> making the right choices. And I don't think she killed two people who really aren't a threat to her. Or mm. I don't want the audience to get tied up with these deaths that are going to be, you know, sticking in their craw or, you know, seem too much, which I think was a little bit of an issue just to borrow from another movie. One of the issues I had with the menu, which I liked a lot, but then to me, the whole ending is like, did all those people deserve to die? I don't know. I'm not sure if some of them should have fought back or not been invited. Uh, going to Brown, I don't think is a crime, even if you got some money from your parents, but nonetheless, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, here, I think they may have decided to tone it down a bit, pull back the R, pull back the violence, maybe save a couple of characters because they thought, you know, we have for the first time in a really, really long time, a kind of, dare I say, likable villain uh, mm -hmm. that, you know, you're not really rooting for her to die. At the end. In fact, to be perfectly blunt, and I'll just go here because we are talking spoilers. Uh, I thought if this really wanted to be like the 70s, like Westworld, where, you know, it's got a little bit more of that edge and those quiet moments. And I agree with you, those moments, Mark, where she, where Megan was just looking and her gaze would just drift like that. It was so Yul Brynner, like, get the little boy, his mommy, he needs a glass of milk. And then he just slowly looks over at Richard Benjamin mm -hmm. at the bar, you know, that kind of shit was so frightening. And like that doll is thinking, it's just like the red light, the Kubrick shoots closer and closer. And we like, that brain is on and is we're getting closer into what he's thinking. And we know what he's thinking. I got to get rid of these astronauts. Um, so I think they may have changed a little bit because I think they realize that Megan is so kind of, dare I say, lovable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's part of the appeal to the wider audience. I'm yes. not now. I want to. I want to preface this by saying I am not by any means putting down or trying to put in a negative light or even think negatively of wide wide release mainstream horror viewing audience. Okay, sure. I watch a lot of stuff. I watch an extreme amount of stuff that very few people are like. Why on earth would you watch that? Okay, <laughs> that, that's just me. I'll watch anything once. So, but looking at it from someone who may just consume horror from the the big screen, from the theaters, or maybe from your main streaming services, and you're not digging around on Tubi, mm -hmm. um, right. you know, I can see the big appeal for this, Megan. It's, it's the same appeal back in the uh, early, late 80s, early 90s of Chucky. It's the same appeal... You know, I'm not putting her up there yet with the other horror icons, but I will say I agree with you, Jeff. As far as modern horror goes, this is one of the first characters in a long time who wasn't from a previous IP who feels legit in that spirit, in that style, even more so than the clown from Terrifier. No offense to the clown in Terrifier, but uh he, He's more of a Michael Myers than it. And no, Michael Myers, out of all the horror icons, has the least personality. He's got personality, right. very, but she is charismatic. You're right. She makes some of the uh, good points. And yeah, she is likable, uh, regardless of your marketing. They've, they've established a cre creepy character that you can root for, which is the spirit of those horror icons that still have some movies coming out today. Um, I I will say that I will not say this would probably be a cult classic. The only reason I say it's a cult classic is because it's popular now. Yeah. The, 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 thing, the thing with cult classics or things that are cult classics are films that weren't really popular, failed at the box office, yeah. not a lot of people talked about. But then right. over the years, word of mouth and fans pulled other people and they're like, Holy crap, this is amazing. You know, yeah. why didn't they may I have been it? ahead of their time and then people catch right. up to it? Like right. the thing, I think we've talked about that. Like that was vilified when it came out, and now it's regarded as one of the top 10 best horror <laughs> movies of all time. And poor John Carpenter almost lost his career because that movie bombed. And I don't know if he ever really recovered from that. And you know, if he waited 30 years, he might have uh, been in a better place, but it's too bad. Then there's the, the queen, then there's the queen of all B cult movies is rocky horror picture show look at that film you know what mm -hmm. following and it has today versus mm -hmm. when it first came out so right as far as cult classic i wouldn't i wouldn't put wouldn't put megan as far as a future or whatever cult classic because it's appealing i would put megan in as a 
as close as we've gotten to the golden age of 80s horror slasher characters, she is a modern version of that. Bar none. Mm-hmm. Um, you with, have all those elements, you know. With, I think, a pretty distinct difference. And this is one of the things that mm-hmm. I think is so appealing to me about this movie and why it's a Blumhouse production. I don't want to see a sequel. I don't want to, I don't want no. to see Megan ever again. Um, and that's not that's not a knock on her character because I think it's weird that we're talking about her like oh she's likable uh, and she's a character because she is just an AI toy. I think that's one of the the kind of the psychic you know big mm-hmm. jokes about mm-hmm. this movie is she's not really a character. She is a learning toy. Right. But we ascribe to her because she's like this cute little blonde you know girl who can mimic the affects of an actual kid we kind of ascribe a personality to her Mm -hmm. but what i thought one thing that sets this apart from just being another child's play because when i first heard about it, i was like oh it's another Mm -hmm. you know possessed killer doll Mm -hmm. or even and i want to pull over for a second to bring up this uh david wilt's comment here megan looks like something out of the twilight Mm -hmm. zone episode living doll which jeff i know you mentioned you referenced early on talky tina Mm-hmm. Right. My name is Taki Tina. Oh, the, that was some great Telly Savalas. Oh, too. my God. What a brilliant episode. Oh, nice. Um, nice going, David. Thank you for, for bringing that comment up. That was great. But the difference is like Taki Tina, Chucky, a bunch of the other, um, you know, you think of the uh, the voodoo doll from um, Trilogy, term, of Terror. Trilogy, Trilogy of Terror. Trilogy of Terror, oh. right? Yep. These are all. <laughs> <laughs> or the the less celebrated Uga Booga from Full Moon Pictures. Anyway. Yes. Uh, <laughs> there you go. But Did, the, that's the, now you know where my wheelhouse sits. Oh, I love it. I love hanging out with you guys. It's like you bring up movies I haven't thought of in I don't know how long, but that's great. But the key difference is that these are those cases are possessed otherworldly mm-hmm. right. things that have manifested or taken mm-hmm. over dolls. Megan is just artificial intelligence. There's never a point where, mm-hmm. oh, someone wrote an evil program or there was a lightning bolt right. that puts right. Satan in this plastic body. Right, right. And what I think is fascinating is the kind of hypothesis is if you build an AI and it's you know tapped into the internet and trained to you know watch people's behaviors and kind of grow with what it learns you know it's learning with a modern you know preteen girl and a parental figure who would much rather just put this kid in front of a screen and so it kind of it becomes manipulative and uh, you know i guess <laughs> quote unquote evil but it's all sort of situational it all, it's all very logical and jeff to something you alluded alluded to earlier, which we'll talk about in a bit, um, it kind of calls out the main characters saying like, well, you know, what's, what's wrong with, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? (laughs) You know, if, well, to your point, I I would not be necessary if you and you know other young parents or whatever were doing your jobs. Right. Exactly. And it's funny you you say that, uh, Ian too, because I think you're right. Um, Megan is really only as good as she's been programmed to be, which is kind of what is, Hal, uh, Hal 2000, mm-hmm. as well as the Gunslinger character, or the rest of the robots in the original Michael Crichton film, Westworld in 73. And that is, uh, they've been programmed enough to know what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And if they have any primal thing that's been put into their, baked into their system that maybe is a little humanistic, and that is that they want to survive. Um, so the Gunslinger learns to somehow really shoot, you know, and uh, uh, Hal learns to read lips and do what he can to not be shut down and keep those from achieving his main directive. That's what I think makes Megan kind of likable is she actually is programmed to be a caretaker, a uh, a sort of guard, uh, a playmate and a teacher. And uh, most of the stuff that she does is within that world and really the people that she kills while those two doofuses who maybe tried to sort of shut her down they're not really awful people sort of out to get that little girl in a way they're really there just out to stop megan which is different so she maybe doesn't kill them the people she does kill are threatening katie Mm -hmm. and what i loved about this movie and and i don't want to segue into it yet because we don't have to we've got time on it but i love the fact that it really becomes sort of a story about mothering, like who's actually the better caretaker. Mm-hmm. And time and time again, as I was watching it, they go out of their way. And, and this is the cleverness or the insidiousness of the writing. I don't know which, maybe both, but 
Gemma's shit. She is a terrible parent over and over again. Yeah. And then at the end, she's a terrible employee that, you know, she's got the whole world waiting to see her introduce this AI doll. And she's like, ah, fuck it. I'm going to stay home. I'm going to get on the <laughs> internet right now and take this fancy old, you know, automobile home and just sit in my car. What? I mean, and, and yet Megan is like, hey, you told me to watch out for her. I'm watching out for her. Oh, you're off talking with the mom at the campgrounds. Meanwhile, Junior over here is getting her into a, I don't know, is he going to rape her? I don't think so. But it's funny how they go there. He's got her spread eagle on and he's mounting her. And then Megan's like, hell with that. This is where I come in, move over Teddy Ruxpin. You know, and I, I just, I love the fact that there's Megan. It's like, she's not trying to say like, hey, I'm a better mom or I'm smarter, but she is a better mom and she is smarter and she's the only one paying attention. How many times is Gemma not paying attention to this because she's preoccupied with her career and selfish and a hundred other things. I, and I love that sort of undercurrent. Like, that's why I think, you know, you don't dislike Megan because she's not a satanic doll. She's, you know, she's been programmed to be all that she is fulfilling and blame her programmers, but she's doing what she's been programmed to do. And, yeah. and, and that's where it fell for me for those exact reasons. It's a double-edged sword. It's what I loved about her in the first two thirds of this film. Right. And then they changed that. Yeah. A little bit with her program she she ends up going and that's i think that's what turned me off just a little bit to the ending again overall three and uh, uh don shanahan would laugh i gave it three and three quarters stubs not quite <laughs> four you he know hates, those three minutes i he, tell you he, he hates my three quarters but i do the three quarters only because it's it, it's to relay the idea that it almost got over sure. got me over but there was a decision or something that was made that just kept me from really giving it a full you know full four and it was that it was they handled her so well and her motivations even up until the very end and i understand that they were going to unplug her but it is such a drastic thing that she goes to like she goes full <laughs> you know she goes at the end she's full just rogue i'm going to hurt everybody you know, uh, uh, right. villain, even to the point of possibly hurting Katie, even though Katie's hurting her. Right, right. And and it was that kind of part at the end where I'm just like, I get it, I get it, but at the same time, I'm like, you were doing so well with me, and now you just kind of fell into, well, now she's just on this murderous spirit. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, is like the last... <clears throat> act of this movie like after the the big toy presentation which goes horribly wrong and i thought that was mm -hmm. the, i wanted to stay with what happened the after effects of that lobby when the <laughs> yes. elevator doors open up and there's two dead people right yes. this, this yeah. rollout supposed to happen and megan just kind of walks out um but she, you know it all ends up back in at Gemma's house and there's a confrontation and the robot is not going insane but it's going after them and we get into child's play territory where the, the face gets like ripped and burned. You kind of see stuff going on underneath yeah. there. And then the face comes off completely. So it's very Terminator. I was like, I, I liked for me, the movie, the excitement ended in the, the lead up to that mm -hmm. climax where Gemma and Megan were in the dining room having a very intense like conversation and Katie comes in, like comes out of her room and they're like, mm -hmm. don't come in here. We're having a, an adult conversation mm -hmm. or whatever. And there's like this struggle going on. It's a real psychological uh, struggle. And this is where and we're talking about the, the kind of counter messaging where uh, Megan is like talking to Gemma about like, well, you didn't want a family. You were just going to be like the girl boss and you're totally into the science and you don't yep. you know, need anybody and, and all that stuff. And it's a it's a critique, and I don't necessarily know that it's a fair one, but it felt like the opening of a conversation that isn't really being had in the culture. Like, what do you sacrifice, you know, when you decide that you don't want necessarily to be a homemaker and you don't want to have the balance of you know having a family and a career necessarily? You just want to be, you know, focused and and shut up in your your house, you know, tinkering around being Tony Stark. Uh, no. you know, it's, it's, and it's point. weird because it's like, you know, Tony Stark, we look at, like, he's the billionaire playboy and everything. But when you have like a female version of that, it's kind of like, eh, it's, where's the mothering instinct? I mean, this movie kind of asks that question. It doesn't really mm -hmm. go that far into it, but it feels like the opening to something really interesting. So at the end, when it's just like, 
Okay, Bruce is another example. This giant, you know, Rock'em Sock'em robot that was supposedly Gemma's, you know, college project. He's introduced in the beginning of the movie. Of course, he's going to come back at the end. Yeah, shadowing. Yeah, right. It, it's it, would, it's the it's the equivalent of, and they even happen to have F-14s on the tarmac. You're just like, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, you raise. Oh, good. Well, good. I was going to say, like, to me, I think the more interesting version of this, and it still might have gone into the area of cliche, but like when Megan steals the sports car to drive to Gemma's house, it's because it's like a smart car. She can start it. There's no key. It just like, right. start, you know, she interfaces mm -hmm. with it. What if Gemma, Gemma seems like the kind of person who would have like a lot, like a smart house. Like what if she'd mm -hmm. gone full on like hardware or something and, and had mm -hmm. like turned all the appliances, turned Bruce against Gemma and Katie and had them kind of like have to fight through all these appliances and problems and like maybe they get locked in a room or something like that because they've got smart locks and everything. It just going the Chucky route for the climax. I understand why they did it, but it just seemed like this movie is an hour and 42 minutes. They spend so much time on it not being a lame horror film that to have it kind of lose steam at the end was a disappointment. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I they, maybe this is a, another big part of this but i since you guys are horror horror movie fans and i dare say aficionados and um i always said when i was the horror movie examiner that the scariest thing about covering <laughs> horror was how how lacking in horror and scares most of the movies were because a lot of them were very predictable or cheesy or you know the the audience uh, was asked to relate to dumb characters on screen that you just go you would not be that stupid and that's a screenwriter writing you into a corner because he doesn't know how to kill you or how to write a more clever protagonist who would be a worthy opponent for this vicious antagonist. But to your very poignant, I think the one criticism that I have after seeing this a couple of weeks ago is I wish that Jason Bloom, who is, I think, a very you know wonderful guy for kind of making horror more accessible and all those mm -hmm. kind of things. Uh, and this is kind of picking up on your point too, Mark. I wish that Jason Bloom had been growing up at, it was my age. Because instead, he's growing up on 80s movies. Mm -hmm. And 80s movies always ended happily. And what this movie needed to end was, I think, a slightly less happy ending. I'll give you a, a thought on it. I think the little girl should have picked, should have picked, uh, Katie should have picked Megan instead yeah. of Gemma. Gemma was a terrible mom up until the very end. And she's even a worse employee for leaving the entire company and all their stockholders and everybody else leaving the lurch. And I think it should, Gemma should have paid for it by losing. Because Megan, like I said, is right through the entire time. They had to turn her into a crazy, uh, out-of-brand character, if you will, villain at the end to sort of justify it in a typical 80s way where, well, we have to defeat the bad person. That's just how horror ends. It's like, no, I wanted an ending like the Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where it doesn't end with some big shebang. Veronica Cartwright thinks they're okay, and she goes up to Donald Sutherland, and he goes, yeah. and she's fucked. Yeah. I mean, I wanted, like, you know, Rosemary's baby. She doesn't kill the baby. She's like, her mother instinct takes over. Rock him, Rosemary. You're his mother. Yes. <laughs> the 60s, the 70s. This felt like that, like I said, Westworld, up until that mm. 80s ending. And this needed to be smarter at the end. And I think in many ways, this is kind of like the ring on steroids. Because actually, <laughs> at the end of the day, the ring is about a bad mom. Mm -hmm. You know, she's not taking care of her kid. Thank God he's smart because he's a lot smarter than she is. And she's missing shit and she gets her ex-husband killed and all this stuff. And she scrapes by the skin of her teeth at the end because she remembers, oh, I have a second tape. But up until then, Naomi Watts is a shit mom. And every chance they get <laughs> at every story beat, it's like she's not a good mom. She's career-oriented. She's clueless. She's not paying attention. Where's Jamie Lee Curtis, who paid attention as Lois Stroud in Halloween and survived at the end? Got the kids to safety, saved herself too. Here, I wanted Gemma to pay for it, because, and also played by Allison Williams, who is so good at projecting cold charm on, on screen. You don't like her at all. I never cold liked her. Cold charm. I well, like I mean, yeah. she's attractive, yeah. but she's unlikable um and she, well, i just she's just thinking like her. she should pay for it here she's the worst character on screen worse than the little boy who gets his ear pulled off well there's that there's a, a weird real world parallel to her father who is kind of disgraced <laughs> nbc anchor brian williams who got fired when for, he made up that story about being yes. i think in the helicopter with hillary clinton like under fire and like none of that ever happened um, but he had that kind of like, he's a newsman and he looks perfect and he's got the delivery. I'm Brian Williams. Tonight is the news. <laughs> you know, it's like perfectly robotic and like Ken like, but yeah, I can see how 
and nothing against Allison Williams. I think you described her perfectly. She fits a type, but yeah. Well, the, 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 the tough part with this happy ending, especially is even with the eighties ones, uh, at the end, you can pretty much piece together, which is always kind of the fun part. I think for many horror fans is what happens next when the credits roll. And a lot of those eighties ones, you're like, well, I could see how this would get explained away and how, yeah, they might get questioned by cops or whatnot, but they leave. There's no clearing of Gemma's name at the end right. of this. No accountability. There, there's no, like, they killed Megan and all of a sudden the real evidence gets released into the internet or whatnot, mm. and, and it's it's not actually her who have done all these things. They try to play this ending off as a happy ending. Oh, look, Katie chose Gemma over, you know, Megan. All oh, these people aren't killed. Here come the cops to save. I'm like, the cops are going to arrest her. She, there is absolutely no hint that anybody would suspect anyone but Gemma. And now that you've destroyed the Megan character, complete the robot completely to where they can't even look at her memory banks or whatever on mm -hmm. it because they totally fried her. There is nothing to clear Gemma's name except maybe Katie's, but you could go very easily go, well, she was through a traumatic event, so how do we know what Katie is saying? How right. about the fact that Gemma is responsible for the programming, killing her boss and exactly. the assistant, and ruining the stock value of that company and everything else? I mean, the, see, even a dark ending right there would have been to have Gemma thinking, oh, I'm a good mom now. It's like, you're still going to get arrested for all your sins right. because you don't get to wipe away two hours of mayhem with one nice gesture. Well, I'll go you on better because I like this idea of alternate reality endings. <laughs> um, let's assume because there's sort of this thread that pops up um, throughout the movie that Gemma was sort of the second choice to raise Katie because right. the husband... I think who had died or mm. Katie's father had parents who were in Florida who would right. be willing to look after right. Katie, but they couldn't because, you know, it's a low blow, but like they're from Florida. Eh, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> um, <laughs> well. but if they, if they had taken that, <laughs> yeah, it's just the same thing as Southerners saying, those they're from New York. What do you expect? You know, yeah, it's, it's yeah, just yeah. I know, right? I know. And yet so, some truth in just, uh, sure, but Florida's crazy. All kinds of crazy. I, New York's crazy too. Anyway, true that, true that. But nobody denies New York. That's a whole anyway. other conversation. Yeah. Anyway, no, um, so I didn't mean to distract. No, no, no. Um, but what I'm saying is, you take that element out. So if Gemma is Katie's kind of like only chance at being raised by someone in her family, if she did get arrested and Katie was like put in some kind of like a a home or an orphanage wouldn't it have been great if she was put in with equally inattentive parents who you know cut to six months later they just happened to bring home the latest toy from the competitive company hmm. that because because that was the whole thing of having mm -hmm. to roll out the new furby because mm -hmm. there was another company that did right, not right. for half the price Very what smart. if someone had had found out because there were commercials advertising megan on television like this is going to be the big unveiling what if that company had gotten a hold of that idea and made their knockoff version and they put it, they give one to Katie in this foster home at the end. And it's kind of like, Oh, she's, she's screwed. She has to go through this again. It, well, it would have been an opening to a sequel or maybe just like kind of a dark dun dun dun, but it would have been something. Well, she but gets, it, she, she gets put in a home and she just happens to take the one item that Gemma had. That's technology, which is the now possessed Alexa dot. Anyway, any by the way <laughs> I, I have to offer this to you both and i'm not trying mm. to uh uh you know audition to for uh, uh jason bloom or anything but um see if i was going to do a sequel to this i i would take the bigger idea rather than the character now mm -hmm. i know they're not going to do that and and megan is good enough that i think they can find probably a clever way for her to come back and you know, God knows they find so many. I mean, how many Chuckies were there? Five or six? Well, they right? left this open for a sequel. So, yeah. For certainly. But, I mean, if I was going to do this, to me, the real theme here, other than who's the better parent or what do we, you know, are we? And 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 hand in hand with that is we are using technology to basically parent our children. And we mm -hmm. have for probably three generations now. My generation was the television. Uh, then there's a the computer and handheld devices. And now it's TikTok and you be 
coming, you know, since they don't have sports and, and band at school anymore, you can make your own TikToks and that's your extracurricular activities and maybe you'll make a million too. Um, but to me, the sequel of this is, okay, it's 10 years down the road or five years down the road. What has the technology done for some other kind of AI that can be there to supposedly serve man, but maybe is better at doing it than people have become because they're so lazy, they're so codependent. I mean, I I, I think a sequel would be called Kevin with the E is a three. And he is like the new account guy in an ad agency or a business. And he's working harder and better and thinking more strategically because he can process all this data and he's climbing up the success ladder and maybe that kind of thing. And ultimately, you know, down the road, do you have him become president? I don't know. But I think that's the place that, that those kind of sequels go, kind of like what they did with Westworld before they started to lose mm -hmm. all concept of what is the actual idea here. But I think they have a very smart, snarky, funny idea in that, like, Megan's a better mom than Gemma. That's mm -hmm. the that's kind of the if you were looking at what's the movie really about and what is every beat in the Blake Snyder say the cat book about it's like Megan's a better parent than Gemma because mm -hmm. this is Gemma's flaw she's a terrible mom she's a selfish woman and a terrible mom uh, career driven you know I mean it's sad that she's a woman it could have been a man same thing but nonetheless she's a bad mom and Gemma's uh, failing at every turn to Megan I think the sequel of this could be like what else does the AI do to make mankind look stupid mm -hmm. and and make a comment on us then it becomes a back a blacker comedy a better satire and maybe one that adapts to the thing sort of like they what they tried to do with the purge but i don't think it ever worked because by the third one they were doing clearly a takeoff on hillary clinton and suddenly it's it's not what the original intent was uh, uh but um but yeah, you're right. I mean, if they bring back Megan, you know it's going to be diminished returns and because Megan's got a new family. Boy, are they in for a surprise! You know that's the tagline already, and it's like it'll take them two reels and before anything happens wrong. Um, can I ask you guys this though? Because I, I don't mean to uh, do your hosting thing for you, but you guys know horror really well. And were you were you surprised at how deftly they did some of the? often egregious sins of horror movies. Like I usually really hate it when they kill an animal in a horror movie. Cause I think it's a cheap, easy death. We don't see the dog killed. Mm -hmm. uh, the violence is kept to a minimum. I mean, even when the boss is, you know, stabbed, it's not too much. I mean, I love the fact that, uh, you know, they didn't go overboard with some of that stuff. I mean, there was a certain amount of discretion being the better part of valor here. You no. Know? Or what did you guys think? I, I like that the, cause the dog, we don't even, I, we don't see the dog killed and usually that's right. a setup for mm -hmm. oh but yes. the body's gonna fall out somewhere but yes exactly don't they just make reference to the body being buried yeah like, megan says he's like buried, 42 yeah. yards yeah that's right down kind of a thing and yeah. we don't see him suffer we don't see her get her hands on him he's just pulled away and that's it and even the his mom when she's killed it's not very long of a violent scene i was surprised that they kind of were reined in on that stuff well it's it's nice because the the dog you know when they like where is the dog and and she describes where it is like literally it's very clinical so you can just yes. you don't have to see it yeah. you can just imagine well she probably bludgeoned it to death drug it out buried it you know and whatever yeah. right, right but she's just describing oh yeah if if you were to go digging in this spot you'd see something pretty awful mm -hmm. um but yeah i agree it's they do some things right here i think as far as like a sequel goes and again i don't want to see one but i just think it'd be interesting is the next generation AI or whatever yeah. that we have to contend with turns the events of this movie into some kind of a cute meme, like mm -hmm. to gloss because they have to gloss <laughs> over the fact that yes. this company made a killer. Oh, doll that we did this, but that home. was so long ago. Yeah. Right. It's or like or January 6th was, was just, uh, was just tourists. Well, <laughs> but you know, the, but taking an element of it, sensationalizing it to mm -hmm. make people think that it either didn't happen or it didn't have as much significance right. it's the whole like you know you do the the prestige with the hand that people aren't watching right um right. but yeah i would yeah again don't want to see a sequel but i think there is fertile ground for another movie in this vein perhaps even from this right now mark you saw malignant last I year did. right yes you, i i yeah. still haven't seen it you really like it right Oh, I loved I loved it. It was it was crazy. It was not what I expected. They went places. They went to a place where I did not think they would go, especially for a film that was talked about so much. Um, you know, it's not uh, not as 
I would say maybe as as straight and and solidly written as Megan. It is it is a little bit more free mm-hmm. <laughs> in some of its form and its story. But where they went surprised me because it's it was something that you don't see anymore, you know. And it's something that that I appreciate and what we're seeing with Megan and Malignant last year, and even most of the A twenty four horror except for Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. I really loved. I'm one of apparently the only few that just didn't get Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. For me, it was just really a lack. I didn't like anybody, and when we get to the end, I'm like that. That was the payoff. But, uh, you know, all the other stuff I liked and what I like to see now moving into mainstream horror is people taking some chances. And while I did say this has falls falls on a lot of tropes in the beginning, it still takes a lot of chances. You could see the influences, but it's definitely trying to do a modern film. And I appreciate horror more that doesn't mind showing its influences, but is trying to not be those films we grew up with it is trying to be its own and that's what megan's doing here this megan is what you would call gateway horror you got someone who wants to be curious little reluctant to watch horror films don't throw cannibal holocaust at them right away because they're they're not going to make it or even green inferno because they're going to get to the third act and went what the What's wrong with you? Yeah, Mark, We're, they won't get they won't get past the first act. Uh. Yeah, they won't get, but you get you get Megan. Megan is as we mentioned that the deaths are implied and off screen. You don't get a whole lot of blood. You still have your creepy horror tropes in here. Mm-hmm. So if you have someone who's leery about horror, and this is probably why Megan has grown in popularity so quickly when it was picked up, is. This has got all those horror tropes and spirit without the extra exploitation, uh, excessive elements that also influenced this film. It, it, it's a very, it's it, it's a very uh, a PG, very PG thirteen, um, and so I think that's what the appeal is for this. So this is mm-hmm. this is a gateway horror. And I don't say that as a criticism. I think this is a good movie to start people with in case they want to get into horror, mm-hmm. but you're not sure if they're into blood and that. If they don't mm-hmm. mind the death scenes in here, we'll move them into something a little more, maybe Halloween 3. This has a feeling of Halloween 3. <laughs> you, you know what yeah. I mean. And to your point, Mark, this is not a dumb horror movie. Which, no. You know, it's like, okay, am I just watching one teenager mm-hmm. after another get killed like so many movies became right. after the success of the slasher movies of the 80s? This is like, oh, well, that doll has some character. It is very Twilight Zone. It reminds me of Talkie Teen. It reminds me of Yul Brynner's Gunslinger. Uh, it reminds me of HAL 2000. Those are great comparisons. If you have that kind of stuff going, that's a clever script. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the other thing is if you're going to introduce people to horror, you have to show them something that has a smart script with characters that you're going to either understand or at least start to sympathize and, and mm-hmm. empathize with, even if they're ostensibly the villain. I think of like, you know, the Swedish horror movie, let the right one in where that little mm-hmm. girl is, you know, imagine me, a little girl turned into a vampire and, you know, and then the, the one person who gets you grows up and suddenly is 20 years, 30 years older than you. And he's now your father esque as caretaker. And he's kind mm-hmm. of, you know, never grown beyond being a 12 year old. Uh, Right off the bat, my heart aches for that vampire, even though I don't like the fact that she's got to feed on people to survive. But it's like, that's a terrible lot. And, you know, this toy was just programmed to do all these things. Thank you, Gemma, that you couldn't do. And now you're going to blame me for that? Uh, Before we get to the Teddy and the AI, we have to go through a few Megans before we figure out how to make (laughs) make them have a few better judgment calls in the last act. Right. Uh, yeah, that'd be a. That's like this is probably the middle film in that trilogy. You've got <laughs> and, then, and AI. What's the first one? What, what's that's the first right. Of that trilogy, um, but the reason I brought up uh, *Malignant* Mark is because mm. Akila Cooper, who apparently was the writer of that film, also wrote um, *Megan* with the story by yeah. James Wan. I can and, see that. I can see that. And that's that, the thing yeah. is, I have not seen a lot of the kind of mainstream horror mm-hmm. that's been out in the last couple of years. A lot mm-hmm. of things like, oh, I got to catch up on that. What strikes me is, you know, we talked a bit about these these waves that kind of came out in the different decades. You know, it was like mm-hmm. slashers in the 80s, mm-hmm. you know, a slasher renaissance in the 90s. But it was like that mm-hmm. self-aware kind of slasher thing. Mm-hmm. The early 2000s was a lot of, you know, torture porn and J-horror. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. What I like about what we've seen in the last couple of years, it is kind of, in my estimation, hard to pin down. A lot of it's coming out from like Blumhouse or kind of like the studios that want to have a Blumhouse wing. But, you know, and, and some of them have like similar like title treatments, you know, like the font for Malignant looks kind of like the font for, you know, I guess Barbarian and then mm -hmm. Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. But you look at, uh, you know, Smile, Megan, Malignant, Barbarian. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, this is the that kind of movie. They're all just mm -hmm. kind of different weird horror movies. And I think that's mm -hmm. as, you know, it's Good kind point. of a cool renaissance to be in. It, it is for a horror fan. That's why I said I, I love the fact and I took a picture. I took a picture last year uh, in the fall that I don't remember a time since literally the 80s where we, I live in a smaller town. Uh, it's a city, but it's the world's smallest, biggest small town. OK, uh, but we have one theater. That Is that the pier? Uh, no, uh, about an hour, two hours uh, west of it. Stevens Point. Uh, oh, because they used to they used to advertise De pier yeah. as the world's biggest small <laughs> yeah. town. <laughs> yeah uh but but point you know uh we've got our downtown's made up of antique shops and that we're a city of twenty four thousand, but you wouldn't guess it if you drove through us that's why i love living here but as a movie fan it's a little tough because we have one theater mm. that has seven screens but where i was going with this long story short too late is i took a picture of the marquee and i don't think i've seen it since the 80s to where of the seven screens we had five had five different horror films wow. on them uh, various uh levels of horror but still five horror i'm like i don't remember in recent 10 15 years where you saw that many wide released horror films usually it's onesie twosies here or there but because of the pandemic one people kind of discovered rediscovered their love of horror and two horror's cheap yeah. Horror, studios yeah. love horror and they're quick to make they're relatively inexpensive and as horror fans and i'll fully admit it regardless of you go look at it go man that looks like crap you're gonna go to the theater and see it because it's a horror film on the big screen you're gonna go see it and they get their money regardless and you get the experience of screaming with people because i think right. that's one of the yeah. things that makes going to the theater better you can watch horror at home and you'll be afraid to go to bed at night and wondering under what's under the right. bed or in the closet but you watch it with people and you scream but it's a funny scream and everybody laughs mm -hmm. afterwards because it feels good that's actually a very good point too and i i'll just say this quickly ian um you know, I, I criticized Jason Blum earlier, but one of the things I do like about him is his whole modus operandi is he'll do a movie for $10 million and it'll make that easily its first weekend. And then after that, everything is gravy. One of the things that I thought was also a very shrewd move, whether it was by him or uh, Gerard Johnstone, the uh, director, but whose name did, sounds like a Flintstones character. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> Bobby, let's get that Gerard Johnstone to direct this. Hey, yeah, Fred, he knew he knows how to do cheap uh, horror really good. Uh, but what I loved about the approach of this is uh, most of the effect of Megan is that little girl uh, who was a, a dancer and uh, you know, I think she had some ballet training, which made mm -hmm. her move really good, but it's her in this costume and they don't try to make it too CGI. And, you know, if this was all CGI and she moved really well, we'd know that it was, CGI and somehow it would not be as effective. We're having a little girl, even though it looks a little bit fake, you know, she's got the mask mm -hmm. on and maybe moves a little too well. It works because she's really in the scene. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. think that makes a difference here. And then somehow it also, I dare say, plays up what you can't necessarily get across here is that, you know, she is supposed to be so lifelike and real that you maybe would not question whether she was just a doll that she's more and the, the actress's name was amy donald who did mm -hmm. that and in fact she you've seen wonderful. her on some of the yeah. tiktoks and she does the dance where she's always she's become already sort of iconic i mean i think we should have a dance off between wednesday adams and, oh yeah i had that Megan. thought the other day i had that thought today <laughs> somebody actually, somebody yeah. on tiktok come on there's your next uh there's <laughs> your next yeah. assignment right but i mean i love the fact that that uh, jason blum said no let's go with a real little girl dressed in this will save a ton of money and it'll look better and it'll place the character in the scene. So it just plays all the more real, which I think really helped. Well, horror fans yeah. in general, I will say right now, you want to win a horror fan over at least win half the battle. Keep it practical. You yeah. will win over 99% mm -hmm. of your horror fan base yeah. who love horror. If you keep the majority of your effects practical, or if you do use CGI, make it so that you're not quite noticing it. 
yeah, you're going to win it over because one of the main themes running throughout horror communities, regardless of which community you look at is if it's practical, you have some respect already for that even, you know, right. and in here they're playing with Megan, they're playing to the uncanny Valley. It's what Robert Zemeckis, uh, uh, unintentionally did with polar express they're intentionally doing it here with they make Kate megan almost too lifelike to where that uncanny valley is supposed to and they use that as the element of the horror which is much more effective than trying to do a kid's movie about santa claus um so. <laughs> and and look i got i just gotta say mark i agree with you however the Polar Express by Robert Zemeckis <laughs> has become a Christmas staple in our house the last couple oh, of years. Wow. Well, the more I watch it, the less I have a problem with the sure. with those with because I I was right there with you when it first came out in what oh four. I was like yeah. I saw it in IMAX at, at David <laughs> Care, like oh talk about a horror movie oh my god what, but, what was the yeah. movie before that was it um uh, the one oh, where the Beowulf. Yeah, Beowulf, but, but, but yeah. even before that, was it Final Fantasy or one of those? It was based on a game. Yeah, yeah. it was Final yeah. Fantasy. The yeah, and the girl's within. hair mm -hmm. had more personality than her entire face did through the yeah. entire movie. It's like, <laughs> wow, they got every hair in her head to move, but her eyes never do. It's just right. <laughs> which is you know that's, that's half the people i see on reality tv nowadays but um all right well we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up guys i do want to, before we get to our final thoughts i want to do a i want to pull over because i had a i ran a contest the other day for the movie the bad guys which i watched and i loved and uh i said whoever wants to follow me on twitter and send me their favorite heist film i would pick mm. a random winner and out of the dozens, and my, by dozens, I mean one entry I got for this. <laughs> Leslie B. Uh, said that her Dang. favorite uh, heist movie is Ocean's Eleven. Uh, so, it's Leslie, you will be receiving this very copy of The Bad Guys on Blu-ray in the mail. Oh, very I, soon. I was going to enter in that, but the last time I did that, I got a signature uh, assigned mini poster from the star of Hercules. So, you know... I <laughs> You know that what? Movie, so. yeah, Steve Reeves. <laughs> what? That was the that other was years ago. Right? The other that Hercules. Was a, that was a '60s Hercules. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger? No. Um, but uh, all right, yeah. So I just wanted to to get to do that here live in case you there end you up go. watching nice. this. But um, all right, so yeah. Final thoughts on on M3 again. <laughs> Mark. Oh sure. Okay, I go first. Um. As I mentioned, it's not a bad horror film at all. I can see why wide, why mainstream audiences have attached themselves to Megan, uh, because this is this is exactly why they made this. This is a horror uh, film for those audiences specifically, but also has enough familiarity for your devoted, really engrossed horror fan to possibly at least enjoy the watch. They're probably not going to visit it again, but at the same time, they may feel like they they didn't waste their time like a horror film of the same time last year, The Grudge remake, which was painful in every aspect of that film. Uh, every. Ugh. Um, and <laughs> coming for me, that's a, that's a bold statement, but because um, I usually try to find the best in films, but I will say, uh megan overall there's appeal there even a mediocre if, if if people think it's mediocre who are really into horror but it's worth seeing on the screen with an audience it's worth if you're curious about horror uh you could take your teenager to it you could feel no problems with with taking a teenager to it and have any uncomfortable moments like in the 80s uh <laughs> and and overall megan shows you that horror is here to stay for a while, which for me, I'm very happy to see. It also shows you that uh, uh, filmmakers are taking some chances. Now, it's a pretty safe film overall, but they're taking chances in that they're trying to make a more modern horror film because we've got so many horror fan uh, filmmakers trying to make an exact film like what they grew up with. <laughs> or even, or, or literally or, doing reboots and remakes, or, or literally right. hanging on to that IP because it's a recognizable name, and they know there's a there's an established fan base. There's opening weekend tickets right there if you do a child's play movie. Doesn't matter if it looks like crap. You've got 
opening weekend tickets right there, which is what it's all about. But I like to see them doing more modern horror. I like to see this emergence of horror being embraced by people, even if it's a, the wide release kind and not maybe the indie stuff that I like more. And overall, yeah, I mean, Megan's, you know, it's a good it's a good time at the theater. I had fun with it outside of the problems I had with it, you know, and uh, yeah, that that's it's not it's definitely watchable and far better than where we started last year. So. All right, Jeff. Well, I will return. I will return to what you originally said, and that is: it is it something that necessarily is an instant classic or becomes a cult classic, or whatever else? I think it is one of those that is instantly likable, fun, and smart than most of the horror fare out there. I think it's very accessible to all the points that Mark made, and you made as well. Ian, I will say this: I think if this film is evaluated in future years, and maybe you know, year end lists in a, in a year or so, uh, or less than a year now. Um, I think will be for what else it had to say in a Twilight Zone kind mm -hmm. of way. I mm. mean, I think the Twilight Zone was all about, um, you know, sort of the status quo and the the falsehood of the American dream narrative and and sort of what, you know, sort of America's post World War II uh, sort of, um, you know, colonialism tended to be and and the dangers of science uh, and and overachieving with uh, modern technology etc cetera, etc cetera. i think this will be reevaluated with that kind of lens because i think if you t take away it's a killer doll and it's a horror movie and it's this and that it's about bad parenting it's about using uh technology to babysit it's about how far do we want to give this respect and personality and and power which we do all the time and i think because of that as as this becomes more and more of an issue in our days that may beg for some reevaluation because i think it's a very pointed satire and mm -hmm. uh the read between the lines is a lot smarter even than this film is on face value which is a pretty clever horror movie i agree um i do think it would have been nice to be able to explore some of the bigger ideas. I mean, even in, I'm, I'm thinking like even like TV series kind of stuff, because something mm -hmm. that stuck out, and I want to go down a rabbit hole because we're wrapping up, but they were talking about the cost of this doll and how they're trying to get the price point down to like just under $10,000. I'm like, <laughs> this is supposed to be a mass market product, right? Something like mm -hmm. you can buy is like on a Furby budget, but the implication. <laughs> The implication is is that everyone's going to want one so does that mean mm -hmm. people are going to go into debt to get this thing that's going to you know destroy their family are they that desperate to not have to connect with their kids or to keep up with the joneses or to get the new ipad i mean this is the iphone on steroids right there's um, the sequel ian megan the layaway plan yeah <laughs> there <you go. laughs> layaway plan sounds like a gerard butler movie or something there. <laughs> but anyway um so <laughs> I do. I do also want to end with David Fowley, who couldn't be with us tonight. Uh, he had some thoughts on it. He said it's a great way to kick off the movie year. Just kind of surprising that it happened the first week of 2023. And he said this is a quote that I don't know if he originated it, but it definitely deserves to be on a Blu-ray slipcase. Megan is AI conic. Oh, very nice. Very nice. That's that's but, that's uh, nice. Yeah. I, I, I would just, I know you're wrapping up, but I'll just yeah. say this. Another reason I think why this is effective and why more effective than now is because uh, uh, our culture and our entire uh, civilization of sorts has caught up to sci-fi. Whereas in 80s and even early 90s, if you had the rogue AI, you'd look at it go, <laughs> I mean, this is fun and kind of scary, but yeah, it's fiction. It can't it, ever happen. You no, know, it's right. like, yeah, we would never, but mm -hmm. you have Megan coming out. And up to it, you have at least 10 years of news reports and, and reports, uh, dis, you know, descriptions of how realistic some robots are created mm -hmm. that are made mm -hmm. now that ask and respond right. and show emotion. Or you get those reports of, yeah, we let these two AIs talk to each other. In about five minutes, they developed their own language, started to talk to each other. When we translated it, they didn't like humans very much. So we had to shut it down. <laughs> <laughs> you, oh, right you, you know yeah, what I mean? Right. but i mean you're getting the technology is catching up to the scary sci-fi mm -hmm. technology mm -hmm. and that's what i think also makes a film mm -hmm. like megan more effective is mm -hmm. because you're like well yeah i actually read in last mm -hmm. week that there was a robot that does exactly what megan does well, well it's well, ava it's ava in uh, ex machina mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, what's mm-hmm. her one sin? She's been programmed to think and act like a human. What's right. the biggest thing about human instinct? The will to survive. Yeah. So she does what she needs to survive. Same here. Megan's supposed to protect that kid and parent her. And if that means getting rid of the worst parent, uh, the uh, the worst of the two assigned parents, that's her directive. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many different ideas here, but it all kind of comes down to the fallibility of the people who are, you know, programming this stuff. Right. Right. One of the things that drives me crazy is, you know, People talk about like these Alexa devices and whatever we say its name and that it, you know, will answer any question. They're like, well, it's not invasive. I mean, it's not listening to me all the time. Yeah, like, it is. Yes, it is. Because how <laughs> else would it know when you say its name? <laughs> no, it is because I'll have a conversation with my wife in the kitchen and all of a sudden Alexa will just answer something. And we just both look at it going. Oh, no, that's, well, that's, that's when you bring out the hammer, Mark. Get that shit <laughs> or, out of your Or house. Mark, next, Mark, Mark, next time you're uh, talking uh, to a friend or whomever about uh, some topic that you're interested in, or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's about like a, an Italian restaurant or, uh, you know, some rash or something you have, watch your internet feed next time comes up. Oh, yeah. Well, suddenly there's oh, a rash yeah. ad there, or suddenly there's a, uh, I, an Olive Garden. What's that about? It's one, like one inter- they're taking that, like, I think Mark is obsessed with Italian food. <laughs> Let's remind him of how he really wants what? that right now. One search in Google, and suddenly your new your your Facebook feed will be filled with ads. Exactly, exactly. Well, I I just want to say for the record, I love all of this AI technology, especially Alexa, mm-hmm. because I want this stream to end without like breaking. Um, <laughs> <anyway>. <laughs> I can't allow you to continue, Ian. All right, um, guys, thank you so much for for hanging out and talking about Megan. Um, I I enjoyed this movie. I think I had about as much fun exploring the ideas uh, and what it was not uh, with you guys than I did, you know, watching it. I don't know if I'll ever watch it again, but I'm not unhappy that I caught it in a theater. So, um, yeah, thank you. I'm always, as always, Ian Simmons. I have uh, Jeff York from The Establishing Shot, Mark the Movie Man Krawcheck from The Spoiler Room and Special Mark Productions. Guys, thank you very much. We will talk again soon about something or other. But until then, whenever that is, whatever that is, Thanks. Take care. Oh, by the way, everyone, check out my friends and and colleagues' sites uh, and and work. I'll link down below. And uh, please like and subscribe and all that good, you know, YouTube <laughs> social business. So yeah, next time, whenever that is, whatever that is. Thanks. Take care and good night. Mm-hmm.